that have like holes in them, but big beans. We go to a church where you have to get there in plenty of time so that you can get good pole position. <laughs> Put yourself in the wrong place, you can't see the lyrics, you know, it's just very anyway. Um <laughs> lots of strategy, lots of strategery. Schematics. Schematics. Blueprints of the building printed out ahead of time. <laughs> hey, if you're a visitor here tonight, I want to welcome you. Thank you for coming to the conduit. Um, we're excited to have you. And if you would do me a favor, if you have a lyric sheet in front of you, those were complimentary, by the way. Those are no extra charge. Um, maybe flip that over and write your email address on the back of it. Because um, we'd like to stay in touch with you. And one of the only ways, best ways, most effective ways is to uh, is uh, via email. And uh, I send out a weekly update of what's going on, where we're at, and occasionally we'll make fun of myself. Um, and uh, so we do that uh, via email. Or on uh, MySpace, you can also become one of my friends. Um, on the MySpace, at myspace.com slash Conduit Bible Study. And I'm also uh, available on the Facebook uh, we're, we're about as high-tech as you can get, except for we don't have a website, but we're going to try to talk about that tonight. So, um, hey, welcome. My name is Darren Tyler, and uh, I'm one of the guys that happens to um, happens to be a part of whatever we call this thing, this leadership thing. Is so that the end of the line? Is that um, Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to hit the ground running a little bit, because we're going to circle back around. I have some questions that I want to ask you as far as... Speaking of strategery, our strategic uh, initiatives for the year here as we're going. We've, uh, I don't know that we've crested the number, but we're getting within striking distance of having $20,000 come through the conduit and flowing into the front lines of the kingdom. You know, I mean, again, I've said it before, but it bears repeating that this morning, you know, some kids in Haiti got up and were, you know, are fed. They've been going to school. They've been being taken care of by what's happening here. They're down in Columbia, Tennessee right now. People are going to bed in a, in a place that we're helping to pay for as they're going through Christ-centered uh, addiction recovery as well as their service to the homeless. And, and we love it. We love that because I really, and then we're going to actually look at that tonight, but I feel like that's a part of what Christ was doing. And, and I figured out at one point that instead of me asking God to bless my thing, my mess that I keep making, uh, and then ask God to bless it. Figure out what God is doing and then just go do that and you don't even have to ask it to be blessed because if God is doing it by its very virtue of that statement, it's already blessed, right? And when you look in the scriptures, what you see is Jesus who was, even his, his first act of public ministry, he said, I've been called to preach the gospel to the poor. And I love that I was watching the, I was watching the TVN last night because it's praise upon week. And, and man, no better time to watch TVN than during praise-a-thon. But, but what I found fascinating was during the praise-a-thon, they're doing, hey, sow your seed and all that stuff, you know. Uh, but then they flash a scripture on the screen, and it would be about giving money to the poor, which I found to be semi-ironic um, that they were using that, you know, these scriptures that were about giving to the poor to give the ministry. Not that there's anything wrong with supporting a ministry. I just feel like maybe you should use a different scripture if you're going to ask for that. But anyway, Hebrews chapter 2. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, the last time we met together and talked about Hebrews, we saw chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we don't drift away. And we talked about that, that what we've heard, the teaching of the Word, what we've studied in the Word, is like an anchor that keeps us. Because we have this tendency, what, to just be 
flowed away. And the, the what we've heard, the teaching of what we've heard, what this word says is what anchors us to the solidness of and the foundation of the Lord. It says, For if the message spoken by an angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. And now he transitions into this thing where he begins to identify you and I. Now, as Christians, we tend to identify each other by many things. Where do you go to church, right? How many times have you asked that question, right? How many times have you answered that question? What denomination are you, right? These are things that we identify ourselves as far as our Christianity are concerned, right? What are some other things? What am I missing? Where do you go to church? What denomination are you? What am I missing? How do you identify yourself as a Christian? What version of the Bible? There you go. There's a few of them. Are you a King James, or do you like your uh, Bible soaked in a bucket of water first? The Message Bible. <laughs> but you, you, you know what I'm saying. We kind of put these ground rules together of what it is that we identify ourselves as. The problem is, is every one of them are completely and absolutely foreign to Scripture. Right? If you look in the Book of Acts, one of the things that I I can't find anyone when you know Peter would run into somebody like, hey, where do you go to church from? Oh, I go to Journey. Oh, I go to New York. It wasn't one of the questions. You know, it was, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you, you know, those are the kind of questions that they were asking of each other. But it says here that Jesus, verse 5, it says, it is not the, to the angels that he has subjected the world to come. I'm talking about the Father, actually, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. This is Psalms, by the way, who has testified this. It says, what is man? Remember this? That you are mindful of him. The son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. And put everything under his feet. I love it because when you think about that, that's a, a passage out of Psalms where David's looking up at the stars and saying, man, God, how, what is it that you're mindful of me? God who is infinite. God, I mean, you know, my, my truck goes kind of fast and it's kind of expensive to go kind of fast in my truck. But it goes fast because that's the kind of power that it has and I'm kind of fond of that. I don't know if you've ever driven 100 miles an hour. If you have, you shouldn't really tell me, or anyone else for that matter. But from when I was younger, what I heard was, <laughs> life at 100 is just really different, <laughs> right? Because you see things, and it's there. You see it, and it's there, right? Because you're driving that fast. And the kind of power that it takes to make that happen in an engine, you know, we, that's it. but imagine what it would take to make an entire universe move at over 200,000 miles an hour in one direction. Right? Like, that's what's happening right now. We have hundreds of millions of galaxies, and they're all moving at over 200,000 miles an hour in any given direction. And Psalm 8 says that God did that with the work of his fingers. He just flicked it. Excuse me. I've received flicking in a K. Um, <laughs> turn that off. With the work of his fingers. Now, the problem with a statement like that is that is a big God, right? But think, you know, hear me out on this, okay? But if God is in fact infinite, okay, we have no problem with the no ending thing. We get a little freaked out on the no beginning thing. God being infinite then in time is also infinite in size, meaning he's there's no he's big, right? He's everywhere. 
But he's also infinitely, follow me, small. He's everywhere. All the really smart scientists that live you know, on the West Coast in Stanford and such in Boston have discovered you can't get to absolute zero. It's infinite, large, infinite, small. God is infinite. And that means this, that when, you know, when we have at our house, you know, when something is like, it's Lauren's size, right? Our little girl, like, oh, that's Lauren's size, you know? With a piece of clothing or whatever. It's, it's size for them. God, even though he's vast and he's enormous, he is also Darren-sized, right? Not biggie-sized. Or dino-sized. How about that? Do you guys know that that was the original upsize thing? A little bit of trivia. was Jurassic Park. That was the very first instance of, of big size in America was when they had Jurassic Park and they had, uh, you would dino size it. Huh? You remember that? How about that trivia? Huh? I'm a wealth of completely useless information. Information that is so useless that it doesn't even show up on game shows. That's how useless information I have. All right. He's infinite. I guess what I'm saying is that, look, your problem isn't too small. God is in the details. All right? He just is. And we don't have time to really go into it and explore that tonight. But if you want to explore that, look at how God is just in the details of Leviticus. He's in the little stuff as much as he's in the big stuff. It says in verse uh, 8 following there, it says, In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to him. But, and I love this, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, not crowned with glory and honor, now crowned, sorry, with glory and honor. It's a little dark under this. Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And ten, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, to call you, to call me, brothers, family. And listen, this is profound. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Did you know that when we're singing to the Lord, to God, to Father God, that Jesus, it says, what, whenever, when there are two or more gathered, there I am in the midst of them. He's singing with us to the Father. He's our brother in this thing. Singing, as I will sing your praises, and again I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here I am, and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. We're sons and daughters of God. Like I, I say that, and it's kind of cliche, right? But that's pretty freaking huge. We're sons of God, and what's so huge about that is we don't think of us as sons and daughters, and I believe that to be true because we think of it 
as servants of God because, well, think of it this way. When you got prayed for to get healed and it didn't happen, what's one of the things you think? Well, I, you know, I must have something wrong with me. I must have something, some sort of hidden sin in my life. Right? I must be not doing something right. I might not be confessing right. Maybe I didn't pray the right prayer. Okay? And everything that that implies is you earning it. It's a big brother syndrome. It's the big brother of the prodigal son. Because the little guy comes home, and as a son, all that stuff he was entitled to. Now, he walked away from it, but he came home and he was still the son. The older brother, who was all put out with this thought process, was put out because well, he didn't earn it, the little guy. And here's the big brother who'd been sitting home all this time thinking of himself. All that stuff, every pig, every thing that was being celebrated with, the tools that were being celebrated with, were the sons already. Because by the very nature of who he is, he is a son. He is family. It's his. And this is a really profound thing that's so over... Looked because we've been around. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you've heard this phrase, the Son of God, we're sons, we're daughters, you got to understand we're like this is really real. Jesus is my brother. And it's important to me to get this. And I'm talking almost more to me than to you. So if you happen to get something out of this, that's great and helpful. But this is for me something I needed to hear this week, that I'm his son. That even with what we're doing at Conduit, the things that we're accomplishing, isn't about impressing God. It's about because we're his sons. This is what we do. We're part of the family. This is part of the family business. This is nepotism at its finest. God may not be into nepotism on earth so much, but in the kingdom, he's into nepotism, meaning whatever the father, his business is. What did Jesus say? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? His business is what we're to be about. Not to earn his love, to earn his favor, his grace, but it's the family business. This is what we do as sons and daughters of God. And if you go to Luke, I love this passage. It was one of the passages that jumped out to me when we first decided to call this thing that we're doing here the conduit. Because the conduit is what? We've talked about it. It's just a piece of pipe. It's not fancy. No moving parts. Not expensive. But it does this profound thing. That's when it's connected up to a source. It allows to provide provision to flow through it. Most times it's water. We're just providing water of the Word. Water of the Spirit. Water of us. The Holy Spirit to flow through us. We're hooked up to the source, which is the Father. And we're providing water and provision to those around us in our immediate circles and and around the world. But Jesus said this. uh, Luke 7... No, John 7. I'm sorry. John 7. The real preacher was booked up now, so you're stuck with me. 
John 7.37, on the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, now listen, understand the backstory here. This is the feast, okay? The Feast of Tabernacles. There were three major feasts in a year when it was uh, in Jerusalem. Now, two days before that, John had looked to Jesus and said, Hey, let's go up to Jerusalem, because when you're trying to build a movement, it's good to go where there's a lot of people, where the most population is, right? But Jesus, I believe, knowing that it wasn't the right motivation to, Hey, let's go to Jerusalem for those reasons, said it's, the time hasn't come yet. But here's what I love. The next day, the time had come. So he goes to Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles, okay, was a feast, and we don't have time to go into the details tonight, but it was this feast where they would commemorate what happened in the desert when God brought them out of Egypt. And specifically, every day something interesting happened, and that is the priest would go to the Pool of Siloam, okay? He would take a jug of water from the pool. He would fill his jug, and he would take it, and it would all go to the, the tabernacle, to the temple, and they would pour it over the altar of this water as a thanksgiving offering, thanking God for that time when he provided water for them in the desert. And on the eighth day, now what Jesus says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, which is the eighth day, what would happen was the priest would then go to the pool of Siloam, and he would go through the motions. He would take the, the jug, and he would act like he's getting water, but he wouldn't get water. And then everybody would follow him up, and they would go through the motions and pretend that there was, you know, through the actions of that there was water, but there was no water. And the reason was, is they were basically acting out this, the fulfillment of this prophecy that one day, that Jesus himself, and actually there's a prophecy in Isaiah that talked about the spirit as water. It was something they talked about a lot, that the water, this was not something Jesus made up, right? So this water, it would act out for the time that that one day that God would actually fill that water with living water. So on the eighth day, this is what's happening. The priest is doing this, and Jesus is standing amongst them. And he says, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. He's shouting, Hey, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus was saying to them what he's saying to you and to me, and that is that if anybody's thirsty, come unto me. And from you, and look, all he said was, what? Believe in me. That's how you drink. And from you will flow rivers of living water. What we are is we are sons and daughters of God. We're his siblings, if you will. He's preeminent, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that we're little gods. He's preeminent, but he made himself like us. But listen to me. Not only so that you and I could have atonement, because it is, that's part of it. When he did that, he became like us. He became tempted like us, and all those things. But so that he could, on the face of this earth, then show us what the family business is. Which is bringing water. Which is letting the Spirit flow through us. The family business, okay? Preaching the gospel to the poor. Serving those that are around us. And, and real quick, and we're going we're gonna to land this thing. We go back to Luke now.
like the right time, the right one. So it's Luke six twenty-seven. The family business is made up in the Beatitudes. Because when Jesus is saying these things, if you've ever read the Beatitudes, right, you think, that that's really hard, and I can't do that. You're right, you can't. God living through you can, okay? Now listen to me, this is important. And I feel like I'm, I'm not getting it right, so I'm, I'm, I want to be careful how I say this. The rivers of living water that flow through you, the Spirit, okay? Under, let me say it this way. Jesus, God doesn't want to use you if you've ever prayed the prayer, God, use me, it's not a sinful prayer at all. It just won't happen because God ain't interested. Okay? He ain't interested in using you. You can't find a scripture where God says, you know, someone's praying, God, use me. Now he'll God, send me. God, work in me. God. What God wants mostly is for you to basically be a son of God, allowing the rivers of living water to flow through you, not using you, you're partnering with him. Jesus didn't come on the earth to model how to be, so you could copy how Jesus was. And if you're trying that, I mean, I'd like to ask how that's working out for you. He came to model what the Father is. You can't get to know the Father through the Old Testament. Jesus says that if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. When we look at how Jesus lived, what we see is the heart of the Father. And when that happens, we can't do it on our own, but when we hook ourselves up to the source, we don't have to do it on our own because then those rivers of living water are flowing through us. All we've got to do is believe, Jesus says. And when we're believing, something amazing happens. Luke 6, 27, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. That sucks. Because when someone has used you, been mean to you, mistreated you, you have a right to be mad at them. And Jesus is saying, the heart of the Father is that we would love those. And we can't do it on our own unless we take a drink of Jesus. We believe in Him, and then through Him flows these rivers of living water. And it says that if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to Him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. I'm not sure. Do I still have any tunics over in the house, Shadow? Yeah. Tunics? No, she wouldn't hear me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. My little bit of nod much you can hear me. <laughs> Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And you've heard this, right? I mean, we've all heard this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Anybody can do that. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lead sinners. Lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. Because because why? Because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Jesus is saying, this is what the Father is. 
You and I now are sons of the Father, and about the family business, which is restoring man unto God. That's the family business. We've inherited this thing and all of the amazing benefits that go with it. And the minute that we step into this thing that I gotta earn it, that I gotta be good enough for it, that I gotta be smart enough for it, then we've stepped into legalism and into works and into being a servant and not a son. But if we step into the sonship thing, and this is where we end, right here, we understand the Father's business, then I mean, look, there aren't many benefits to being a son or a daughter of Darren, okay? But there are a few. If Maddie, because she's my daughter, wants to go see a concert, well, we go see a concert. You know, that's a benefit of it. She didn't have to earn it. She didn't have to act good enough for it. That's just a benefit of it. Ethan, when he goes to the pantry looking for fruit snacks, that's just a benefit of being in the Tyler house. There's fruit snacks there. It's part of the deal. Part of the benefits of being a son, being a daughter, are those things like relationship and peace, the fruits of the Spirit that we see so much about. But this is what I want you to get as we leave, because this is what conduit is. But it's being about the Father's business. And Jesus modeled the Father on earth. He went to the people that couldn't have given a crap about what He was doing. He went to the people that were cussing, he went to the people that were drinking and carousing and carrying on. He went to the tax collectors, which are like the modern day mafia. He went to the people that had no ability to repay him for what he was going to do for them. And what did he say there in Luke? If, if, if a sinner asks you for money to you know, lend to give to them, to lend without expecting to get paid back. Because that's what the Father says is his heart. And I know this because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was able to go between Matthew, who was an absolute, you know, he was the tax collector. He was the mafia guy, the slime bucket, the guy from, you know, uh, the Sopranos guy, okay, that kind of guy. And he went from there to Jairus' house, who was a, a Pharisee, who was like the most religious prig in town. And on the way, managed to find time to heal the woman with the issue of blood, who by the law of Moses should have been stoned because she was out in public with an issue of blood, which meant she was unclean and a scourge to society. And what that says to me is this. If you want to indeed be about the Father's business, it ain't that hard. It's just a little bit different than what we maybe thought, and that's to find the folks. Who's the person that irritates you the most, the group of people that rub you wrong the most. Find them. Minister to them. People that can't absolutely have nothing to give you back. And I got a, <laughs> I got great news for you that when we do that, that's what God's doing anyway. And that's what God is blessing because that's what He's doing. And that is what conduit has been. It was for me this kind of watershed moment that my life was about going to church on Sunday morning and then sometimes Sunday night and then we had Metro on Tuesday nights and we had Wednesday night service and then once every other week we'd have a men's group and then we'd have the women's group and a pastor's prayer group and all of a sudden I'm realizing everything I'm doing is about going to this building for this set of structure and infrastructure for these programs and processes 
that had absolutely nothing to do with getting into the world and extending out my hand not like this to get something from them, but my hand like this to help them through something. And conduit, we haven't exactly figured out. I feel like what we're doing with conduit is how do when you, are the people that like to do the puzzles in here? Um, when you do a jigsaw puzzle, what's the most common thing you do? You fill in the edges first, and then you build into the center. Because you get the idea of the picture. Conduit has been the exact opposite of that. We just started with the center, with what is Jesus doing? And then we've just been putting a piece here and a piece there, trying to figure it out as we go. And man, i got to tell you, I love it. I finally understand what it meant when Paul said that God loves a cheerful giver. Because I'm kind of fired up about this. I'm kind of excited about it. I don't get paid to do this. I don't say that for any other reason. I say that we're all in this together. We're all equal here. I don't have any white collars. Maybe I should get one of those. But, but we're all on equal footing. We're all just sons and daughters of God who've come together on a Sunday night to try to find out a little bit more about the Lord in here. And now to find out what are we going to do about it. How do we, how do we move forward? What are the things that God would have us to do in response to this, to be sons and daughters of God, being about the family business, which is reconciling man unto God, the people that Jesus went to, the people that you and I, I mean, the people that, quite frankly, that they talk badly about on Fox News, if you know what I'm saying. The people that we don't want to be seen in public with, because what will people think if they see me in that place with those people? What will they think about me? But as a son of God, I don't have to care because all I care about is what my dad thinks about me. And that's what daddy's doing, and he loves it. He's fired up for it. That's where he is. All right, I've said enough. Let's pray. Father, we want to be about your business like Jesus was. We want to preach the gospel to the poor, to the vulnerable, to the oppressed. Lord, I don't know that we want justice so much because if it was justice we wanted, then we'd all be in trouble. What we want is a mercy. We want your spirit to move through us. We want to hook ourselves up to the source to drink, God. Just believing. That's all we got to do is believe. And when we do that, rivers of living water will flow from us. We ask that you would not use us, God, but live through us. That your spirit would speak to us and walk with us and partner with us. I don't know about tomorrow, God. We only know about right now. We pray for your wisdom right now. Tomorrow, you said those have problems of their own and we'll, we'll get that when tomorrow comes, God. For right now, we just rejoice and we're so glad to be sons and daughters of you. Your family. We don't even have to live in the guest house, God. We get to live in the big house with you. Jesus' name, amen. Give me some water. I could strike a match on my tongue right now. Um, okay, a couple things. First this, there are um, a couple of buckets here, okay? If you're a guest, you got to know this. We are a no-pressure kind of place. But I only tell you this. Any money that's given into this ministry flows right through us. We, we hold back 10% for operating expenses. We just keep can't find really any operating expenses. We keep giving that away too. It seems like 
in six months we've given away almost twenty thousand dollars with just you know with no pressure kind of stuff. So when this bucket comes by, just ask what the Lord would have you to do. And the good news is, is that the Lord has you to do nothing. I got no problem with that. I will never know. But I would suggest that maybe God would have you do something, even if it's a dollar, right? It's just something, because it's going right into the hands of Restoration Ministries in Haiti, which is feeding uh, and clothing and schooling and orphans there. And, uh, we've, we've given to the Hands and Feed organization with their organization in Haiti as well. And, uh, place of Hope right here in Columbia, Tennessee. That's where it all goes to. Just We're blessed. The people at, at the listener give us this place for free. So as the bucket goes by you, these fancy things... Again, we'd have nice ones, but we can't afford it because we keep giving all our money away. Um, just think about it. And if you're a visitor, this would be a good chance for you to put your email address, tear it off, and put it in there so that we can keep in touch with you that way. We'd love to stay in touch with you and let you know what's going on here at the conduit. 